be preaching from Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Good to see Nancy back with us. She wasn't feeling well last week. A lot of folks are not feeling just really well, uh, so we ask that you remember the folks who uh, have COVID, the flu, the strep. A lot of these things are going around. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Now, we all have Christmas traditions, or many families have Christmas traditions. We as a church have a Christmas tradition, of course, of decorating the sanctuary. And, of course, you decorate your house. A lot of times people have a specific day that they put the tree up, and they have a Christmas tradition. A lot of times the traditions have to do with going to a particular person's house for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And it's always been my Christmas tradition, personal Christmas tradition, to begin with this passage of scripture with the Christmas season. Of course, there's several passages of scripture uh, throughout the New Testament that deal with the Christmas narrative. And I've always started here. And of course, if you mark in your Bible, uh, some people mark particular dates of sermons and so forth, then you probably open it up and say, well, he preached from here last year. And he preached from here the last year. And he preached from here the year before that and the year before that. Well, you know, we, we sing the Christmas carols every year, don't we, about the same time. But, you know, I can remember something else, too. I always bring this up because it's always a lot of fun. Uh, when I was a kid, we spent a lot of time with my cousins at my grandfolks' house. And, you know, every single year, my grandmothers would cook the same thing. But we loved it. It was the same thing that they cooked for every holiday. You'd have dressing. You'd have particular desserts. You'd have candied sweet potatoes. Uh, you'd have homemade rolls. My Mamaw Rogers made these ginger cookies. Well, they weren't just really, really cookies. We call them ginger cakes, but they were hard, thick cookies with a lot of ginger. We, oh, we loved them. We loved them. And, you know, nobody ever came up and said, you know, you cooked this last Christmas. Well, because we all liked it. Well, I'm not going to begin to compare my sermons to my grandmother's cooking. Because both my grandmothers could cook stuff like nobody else could cook and still can't cook. I mean, everybody has their favorite. Nobody can duplicate what they cook. And I'm not going to compare my sermons to that, but, but the, the thing is, yes, I know that we, we look at this passage every year. My grandfolks, they, they cook the same stuff every year, and I always left it up to them what they wanted to cook. I never second-guessed the grandmothers. So since I was responsible for cooking this morning's sermon, so I'm going to pick this right here, and this is a good place to start. Now, the Christmas story doesn't start here. This is where we start with the Christmas season. The Christmas story does not begin here. This passage is a continuation of God's messages that spans 1,500 years before. This was written, and in all 1,500 years since that first word was penned on paper from Moses, the Christmas story's been told, every page of the book. But we start here, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? <clears throat> Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order, a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. 
It seemed good to me also, having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you are instructed. There were in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well advanced in years. So it was, while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For who will be great in the sight of the Lord shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He'll also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be made mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. Because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. She hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you for this part of the Christmas story, and there are things we can learn. We can learn about you. We can learn about your work. We can learn about this event. I pray we can learn about ourselves. Father, we ask that you would just Cause us to look inward, look into our heart, make sure all things are right with you through this holiday season. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Luke's intention for writing what he just wrote, what we just read, made very clear in the opening verses of this book. He states, it seemed good to me also having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. He wants to write an orderly account of what? It says in verse 1, 
many have taken in hand to write a narrative of the things which have happened. Of course, he was talking about Jesus of Nazareth. And what he said is there are a lot of things going around, Theophilus, a lot of things that you've heard, a lot of things being said. And he said this, my intention is to write an orderly account. And he mentions he has researched it, he has looked at it, he has analyzed it. And he wanted to write what really happened. He wanted to give him a clear and an accurate and a complete account. But here's the reason. So that you may know the certainty of those things in which you're instructed. He said, my intention is you can know for sure who Jesus really is. That is the intention of the whole book. He says, I've analyzed it. I've researched it. I've listened to people. And I've written down an orderly account. And this account from the very first, from the very smallest detail. But the whole reason these were written so that you may know the certainty of these things. Do you know the certainty of these things? Do you know the certainty of the Lordship of Christ? Do you know the certainty of the beautiful gift of salvation? That's why he wrote these things. But now let's look at his focus. Luke starts... With this, there was in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest of Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. There's a lot being said here. Because we won't look at his focus, and it's telling who he does not direct his focus upon. But he mentions it just to make sure that Theophilus knew he didn't forget about this guy. There was in the days of Herod, king of Judea. That's all he said about this man. But you have to understand, Herod was one of the most well-known men of that era. By the time Luke wrote this book, Herod had been dead for quite some time. But the Herod that he spoke about was one of the most powerful, one of the most wealthy men, one of the most well-known men of his entire era. For a couple of generations, he was well-known. But he was also one of the most evil men as well. He was horrendous. He was a murderer. He hated God. He was suspicious. He killed his family members. This was a man who was ruthless in his attempt to keep his power. And one of the most powerful men in the world, Luke, makes a mention of it and says, oh, but that's not who we're talking about. Let me tell you who really matters. Let me tell you who really made a difference. Now, the people in popular culture of the time, the people in politics, the people, of course, who kept their eye on things, and I don't know of anybody who is really more in the spotlight than Herod. But in contrast, he says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah couldn't find somebody so completely different than Herod. Herod was well known. Herod was famous. Herod lived in the biggest of the urban areas. He was of the city's sophisticated class. And here was an elderly priest from a small rural community. In verse 39, it says that, that Mary went to the hill country, to a certain city. And we don't even know what town he was from. He was of such a small town, it's not even mentioned. He was from the hill country. He lived in the country. He was a small town, elderly, unknown 
priest from a rural area. But oh, how much different he was than Herod. You see, Zacharias was a picture of true dedication. Dedication, first of all, to the Lord. See, Herod hated God. Herod was not a godly man. Zacharias loved God. In verse 6, it tells of he and his wife, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. Now, they weren't sinlessly perfect, but first of all, we understand when it comes to blameless, it's what others could see. What others could see, they walked in the commandments and ordinances of God. The commandments of God have to do, of course, with their personal lives. The ordinance of God had to do with their church lives, what they did when it came to worship. And they were blameless when it came to people around them. They looked at their lives and they saw that they walked with God and they worked for God. And it says they were righteous before God. Well, that's when it comes to our personal life. didn't say they were sinless, but they were righteous because they were forgiven. They were forgiven. They had made it right with God. Their soul was right with God. They were on speaking terms with God. All that had been taken care of. He was a picture of true dedication to the Lord. Despite the fact that things didn't always go his way. Notice what it says immediately after it says they were righteous, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless, but they had no child. See, sometimes it's easy to serve and to walk with the Lord and to keep a godly mindset when things are going our way. But things weren't going their way. They were childless. And they were disappointed because in that culture, having children was very, very important to your social status. Now, I'm familiar with many families who have dealt with the disappointment, the personal disappointment of not being able to have children. And it's a devastating disappointment. And despite the fact that they, for years, had this disappointment, things didn't always go their way, they were dedicated to the Lord. Now, that tells us another thing. Zacharias was dedicated to his wife. Now, you have to do a little homework to see this, but it's a point that we want to make here because we're dealing with the man Zacharias. What kind of man was he? You see, to be childless, not only was a personal disappointment, which a lot of people today realize, but back then it was even worse because to be childless and not to have children was to face a public disgrace. It was an embarrassment. Now, Elizabeth mentions something about that. The very last verse we read, the Lord has dealt with me in the days he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. The word reproach here also means disgrace. See, what happened is for somebody not to have children, they faced two things. First of all, it was public disgrace because everybody thought that was a, a picture of your status in the community to have a lot of children. But also it gets worse. 
You remember back in the book of John, chapter 9, where a man was born blind and the disciples automatically said, whose fault is that? Who sinned that he's got that problem? And here's the, the thing that everybody pointed a finger at. For a couple not to have children, the whole community looked at that couple and said, now which one of them is such a horrible sinner that God's not blessing them? You see, they pointed at the fact that it had to be something they did that was so terrible and so wrong. So they were always facing accusation from the community. You say, man, that's horrible. That's cruel. Yes, it is, isn't it? But that's what they had to face. They had to face the fact that it was a disappointment. And watch this. According to the culture at the time, it was just about always the woman's fault. In fact, it was accepted to that point where current regulations, not this book, current regulations, even among the Jewish religious leaders, was to be childless was grounds for divorce. You could divorce your wife, find somebody else, and it'd be all okay in the eyes of the law. So, that is horrible. You know, there are a lot of things that are okay in the eyes of the law today that are still horrible, right? That was horrible then, and it still sounds horrible now. Zacharias could have abandoned Elizabeth and went and tried to find someone else years before while he could still have children. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And I'm sure he must have faced some scorn from the men around him. I, I wouldn't put up with that, Zacharias. Now, I don't know why you're still hanging with her. You, you need to go find you another. I don't know what, this is such an embarrassment. I don't know why you're still doing this. And so there could have been the pressure to go find somebody else. He wouldn't do it. He stayed faithful and loyal and dedicated to his wife. Even though popular culture said it had been all right to do something else. He was also dedicated to his work. You know the story. He sees an angel. He sees an angel in the holy place. He gets the most wonderful news of his life. And then he's stricken, speechless. And look at verse 23. And so it was as soon as the days of his service were completed. Whoa, 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 stop. Now, let me tell you. If I saw an angel in the holy place and told me that my prayer was answered, the first thing I'd try to do is go home and share the good news with my wife back home. Now, and if on top of all that, I couldn't talk, it's like, oh man, it's over. Man, I'm done here this week. His shift was two weeks. Every course took two weeks. And he would serve two weeks in the temple. Two weeks. We don't know when this uh, happened, but we know that it happened well before he was completed with his work. He stayed, even so all this happened. Couldn't talk. He stayed till his work was completed. Wow, isn't that some kind of dedication? I imagine anybody else said, well, I, I pretty well got a ticket to check out of here. Oh, yeah. Well, you'd have to sign. I got because he, he couldn't talk, so he's going to write it out. I'm done. Walk away. 
But man, here was a man that was dedicated to his work for the Lord. Even that didn't make him quit. Now here's the question. In our service to the Lord, what does it take to back us up? What does it take to slow us up? What does it take to shut us down? Zacharias couldn't be shut down. He had a job to do for the Lord, and he stayed till it was done. He was dedicated to his work for the Lord. And an old visitor makes a new appearance. You know the story, and we go back to where we started. The time and place was the burning of incense on the altar. You know how it's done. We go through this every year. Every priest would have to serve two weeks out of the year. There were 24 courses. His course was Abijah. He'd go to Jerusalem and stay for two weeks. And they would perform all the different duties. Now, the, the one everybody wanted to do, which would be the highest honor of your entire life, your professional life, your spiritual life, your personal life, was to offer incense on the altar. They would draw lots, which would be colored stones. The lot fell to Zacharias. This was such an important thing that if you ever got the chance to do this, you couldn't do it any other time. That was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Not everybody did it. But once you did it, it would be somebody else's turn. This is a once-in-a-lifetime, the ultimate in your professional advancement was to go in to the holy place. Other priests would come in, they would spread the coals, and then you would go get a special incense. This incense would be offered before the offering, the sacrifice, and after the sacrifice. And then you would go and spread those out. And smoke would come up, that incense would come up, and people would see it, and they would be all behind you outside the holy place praying. And they would be waiting on a blessing from the priest. That's how those happened. So Zacharias walks in. This is a wonderful day. This is a great day. The best thing that could happen in his priestly career has just happened. And, of course, he sees a visitor. Now, he's supposed to be the only one in there. So you can understand why he was afraid because, hey, I came in this door, and there's no other doors, and there's somebody in there. He didn't get here any other way, so he knew it was an angel. And the visitor's name was Gabriel. Now, you have to understand, Gabriel's last visit was 550 years earlier when he appeared to Daniel. That's in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of Daniel's book. And he appeared to Daniel to help Daniel sort out these visions. Explain what they are. 550 years before, Gabriel visited somebody and talked to him. He's old. And here he is again. Gabriel is seen in the scriptures or, you know, in the, the Jewish tradition. Gabriel is seen as the angel, the messenger of peace and restoration. Now, God could have sent Michael, the archangel. Michael is the messenger of the wrath of God and judgment. He didn't send him. He sent 
Gabriel. So the fact that he sent Gabriel, it was we know this message is going to be a message of peace. It's going to be a message of restoration. My, wasn't it? He says, fear not. You'll see that a lot during the Christmas story. Fear not. For your prayer is heard. Wow. That's the first thing he said. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Your prayer is heard. Somebody here needs to hear this. Somebody here has been praying for something. Your prayer is heard. Your prayer is heard. Of course, we assume, of course, that the prayer he's talking about is for a son. Because then he starts talking about they're going to have a baby. How many times did they pray over and over for a child? How many years did they pray? And it sounded like, looked like, it appeared Nobody's listening to what I'm saying. God's not hearing me. He said, your prayer is heard. How long had it been since he last prayed this? Now, the Greek grammar here is your prayer has been heard, or maybe your prayer was heard. Now, Zacharias says, I'm an old man. And the scripture says they were well King James says, well, stricken in years. Well, according to Jewish tradition, when you are announced to be well stricken in years, you hit that status at 80 years old. They'll sing the happy birthday song to them when it's stricken in years. Now, when you hit 65 years, you're officially in old age. When you hit 70 years, you're of the frosty-headed old age. Then when you're 80 years, you're well stricken in years. Both of them were well stricken in years because Zacharias told the angel that. My wife is well stricken in years. So we know he was an old man. So we can assume probably it had been a long, long, long time since they realistically prayed for a child. Because, you know, after a certain age, you just know it's not going to happen. It's hopeless. So we understand that he said, your prayer has been heard. It may have been decades since you prayed this prayer. God didn't forget it. God heard it. God still remembers it. Keep on praying. But then secondly, this prayer was for something more. Now it's hard to imagine if you look at the culture of that time, how anything could be more pressing and more important and more life-changing than having a child. But there was something. The truly devoted to God, and we know they were devoted, both he and Elizabeth, the truly devoted to God never stopped expecting the coming of the Messiah. Chapter 2, verse 25, there's an old man called Simeon in the temple. This is after Jesus is born. And it says this about this guy. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, just like Zacharias, 
waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What was he waiting on? He was waiting on the coming Messiah. When we talk about waiting, he was looking for it. And these devoted people never stopped looking for the Messiah, even though, like Zacharias and Elizabeth, they had been disappointed over and over again. The last 400 years, the people of Israel were like a football, passed back and forth between the Egyptians and the Syrians, one, pe one people after another. The Babylonians had their, had their devastating effect. Then, of course, came the Greeks, Antiochus, Epiphanes, and it was horrible. The devastation and the persecution they went through that will not be matched until the Great Tribulation. And then finally, the Maccabees come along. They get some independence. They've got their hopes up again. This is when it's going to happen. The Messiah is going to come. And you know who comes instead of the Messiah? Herod, the Romans. They're back in despair again. And he says, fear not. Your prayer is heard. You see, the last words of inspired writing in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, says this. In chapter 4, verse 2. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. You'll go out and leap like calves out of the stall. You'll be so happy. Wow. They never forgot that. Even though days were dark, Herod was on the throne, they never, ever forgot that. And there was a prayer that they prayed out of the psalm. If you'll look in the 14th Psalm. The 14th Psalm, verse 7. Just one little snippet. As they would sing this song, they prayed this prayer. Those who were devoted to the Lord waited on the Messiah. That meant they kept looking for him. And watch this, they kept praying for it to happen. The 14th Psalm, verse 7, Oh, that salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. They never quit praying. Even though historical events crushed their hopes over and over, they never quit praying. After 400 years of silence, there has not been any inspired words since the book of Malachi, since Malachi came and prophesied. Gabriel comes to the altar and says, your prayer is heard. Now, two things. Your prayer for a son and your prayer for a Messiah, and it gets even better. Notice what he says. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You'll call his name John. This is where it gets better. You will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power 
of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient, the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. You know how, it, how good it gets? He says, you'll have a son, and the Messiah's coming, and your son's going to have a part in this work. He'll be the forerunner. You know, the, the forerunner was mentioned, the last words of the Old Testament, Malachi. So what he says is, I'm wrapping this all up in one package for you, Zacharias. It's a twofer. You've got a son, and the Messiah's coming, and your son is going to be the forerunner. Now, can you see why it is a great dedication to his job that he didn't go running out of there and go straight home and say, Elizabeth, however he would do it, write it down. You're not going to believe this. He stayed with his work. But oh, the message that he had. The message that he had is this. Fear not, your prayer is heard. A Messiah is coming. That's the message of Christmas. Your prayer is heard. Whatever personal prayer you might have. And I don't know what it is. Your prayer is heard. But whatever your prayer is about, there's something even greater that God wants to do for you. A Messiah is coming. And that Messiah came. And that Messiah has a gift for you. Do you know that gift? Do you know Christ? Do you know the real meaning of, Christian, of Christmas? Do you know the salvation of the Lord, the free gift of salvation? Do you know that? Maybe your heart's heavy and you needed to hear that your prayer's heard. What are you praying about? Maybe you need to talk to God about that again. Maybe we need to look at our own lives. How dedicated are we to the Lord, to each other, to our work for Him? See, a lot of things to think about as we stand and sing what number.